0: Of
1: The Box
2: Out of the Box Meet people
0: through their music
2: With Ash Bertabez on FBI
0: What a beautiful day to make some radio on And all across the morning you've been hearing Ed Kirkwood rather than your usual Stephen Ferris, but he's done an excellent job bringing you some sweet-ass jams. So if you'd like to check up on any of the songs that you heard and you really liked them, on fbiradio.com, go to the programs and playlist page. He's listed everything throughout the morning there. And uh, today I'm really excited about the show. Will Reichelt is my guest. Will's job is to make The Average extraordinary. He's a visual effects supervisor and has worked for 12 years now for Australia's award-winning digital studios... Animal logic on films like Baz Luhrmann's Australia, Knowing, and most recently, Walking with Dinosaurs 3D. Um, in his role as visual effects supervisor, Will has at times been supervising up to 30 visual effects artists at once. And he's a photographer too, and not like, a, not like a photos on the side, don't quit your day job sort of photographer. His photos are actually really great, and they pop up in the brag, timeout, Sydney, Mess and Noise, and oddly enough, Australian Penthouse, which I <laughs> realised this morning has nothing to do with interior design.
1: That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that was a one-off thing. Yeah? Yeah.
0: So what, what were you taking photos of for that one?
1: Um, it was uh, a request from a friend of mine who uh, at the time was uh, editor of Penthouse to, to shoot an event for them. Okay,
0: great. Mm. So, so not not the pretty ladies. <laughs> uh,
1: they, they, they were there, but yeah, it, it was it was more it was not so much focused on that. It was more just covering a, a sort of a special event thing that they were doing.
0: Fantastic! Everything from dinosaurs to Australian penthouse. So that's that's a pretty pretty good spread you got there. <laughs> and you brought on some amazing tracks today. Uh, we've got some great tunes coming up in the hour from Radio Department, White Zombie, and Client Liaison. But first, we we've got a song by Interpol. Now, which song do we have?
1: uh we we're, we're going to hear PDA by Interpol which is uh I guess I picked it because uh when I first started taking pictures um so sort of back in 2005 2006 um I went to see Interpol at the Enmore Theatre and that show was the very first show that I took a picture. I just had like a little point-and-shoot camera that I just held up um, in the crowd and just snapped off something and looked at it and I thought, huh, that's quite cool. Maybe I should try to do more of that. And um, yeah, so that was sort of the start of my sort of process of getting into that whole thing.
0: Yeah, and that would have been before everyone was at, at, you know, gigs with phone cameras and stuff like that. That would have Preceded that little bit,
1: yeah. Oh, not, so not so ubiquitous. There no. weren't phone cameras, but everyone had little point-and-shoot kind of ah, yeah. little <laughs> Canon Ixus cameras or something, you know. So there were still like lots of people with their hands over their heads, but um, yeah, it wasn't the kind of bright screen sort of bonanza that you see today.
0: Yeah, don't don't like see someone actually Instagramming it as soon as they've taken it either. <laughs> That's which is right, pretty good. All right, so we'll take that track now and uh, be back in a second to hear more about Will Reichelt, my guest today on Out of the Box. FBI ninety four point five, great track there from Interpol. And uh, my guest today on Out of the Box is Will Reichelt, who's having trouble with headphones at the moment. Can you hear me yet? Okay, producer is coming in. We are going to plug those back in. And um, okay, so you you're a visual effects supervisor, and after watching like VFX before and after videos of films like say The Great Gatsby and stuff like that. I kind of felt really stupid because, like, you see you see the film, you go, oh, my gosh, what a beautifully manicured garden or, like, I wonder where that castle is or, oh, the, the manpower it would have taken for that scene is just incredible and then you realise in the VFX before and after that none of that was real and that, you know, there's, I mean, there's this scene in Great Gatsby and stuff like that that's, you know, there's a horse galloping around this amazingly manicured garden and then in the VFX before, it's just a lawn. It's just <laughs> it's just a dumb lawn with a couple of prop um, trees and it's kind of, it also makes me think maybe it would be... A lot of people be, worked really know.
1: hard on that lawn. You know
0: <laughs> I'm sorry I don't I don't want to like uh, bash that lawn but I just thought it was so much more than a lawn <laughs> but no it, it makes me think what kind of hours go into a, just a your average sequence when you're making a a kind of yeah like for or a scene like that for example
1: um well I get a lot a there's, lot? there's yeah. hundreds of people and thousands and thousands of hours and a lot of stress and yeah it, it's a it's a large process that uh, is very detail-oriented and, uh, yeah, it takes a very long time.
0: Okay. And, you know, as, as a visual effects supervisor, what kind of hours are you working?
1: Uh, well, it sort of ebbs and flows, I guess. Uh, at the beginning of a project, everything's kind of fine and you're, you you work normal hours and it's uh, like a regular job. And then, you know, like anything, as you get closer to the crunch, you your hours start to go up and... So what's
0: the what's the bad kind of, you know, like what's the <laughs> candle at both ends look like?
1: Uh like, uh, well, you know, it's all-nighters, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like literally staying all night on a couch to kind of uh, make sure that you get something done by a certain time so someone else can pick it up and do the next thing that they need to do. You know?
0: Is there a particular film that you've worked on that stands out as being one of the most, like, hours-intensive at the end kind of, like, massive rush?
1: Yeah, I guess the one, the one f- film that stands out uh, pretty massively for that was uh, the Alex Proyas movie Knowing, where uh, that was uh, an unbelievable crunch at the end, where we so many people worked so many hours to to get uh, to get that stuff done. Uh, yeah, it was pretty phenomenal.
0: Yeah, there was some crazy effects in that. Um, there was a plane crash that looked completely legit. Yeah, I, I, I would have two... thought that it was actually a plane crash. <laughs> that was a,
1: that was a two minute long shot. That shot took a year to do. Um, what? There was uh yeah, like there's that's a two minute long shot where the, you see the plane come out of the sky, it crashes, and then you see Nicolas Cage run into the plane wreckage and then start running around and it's partially practical and partially digital, but the plane crashing and most of the debris is all digital.
0: That's amazing. And so like with with visual effects artists, I mean there's the kind of art- artistry that we're talking about, which is like more intense than painting. How long does it take to train as a visual effects artist usually?
1: Uh it's Well, I guess it depends on what you do. I, I, it, as far as film visual effects go, most people seem to specialise uh, in different areas. So you can uh, work in modelling or you can be a surfacer where you kind of put textures and, um, and make things kind of look uh, a certain way. So or, it's
0: like uber specialised?
1: Uh, yeah, in, in film visual effects, yeah. In commercials, uh, you tend to get a bit more sort of general people with general skills.
0: All right, cool. So we'll take a track right now from Flaming Lips and you'll hear why when we come back. Uh, And we're also going to talk about a film that Will recently worked on, Walking with Dinosaurs 3D. All right, check it out on FBI 94.5. One, two, three, four. be song of all time. It's Do You Realize by The Flaming Lips. And you're listening to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. My name's Ash Bertabez. My guest today is Will Reichelt who is a visual effects supervisor. So that means that he's working with up to 30 artists at a time working on films to make them look incredible, to to take what is green screeny and totally average and make it... Make it dinosaurs. Make it just rain heaps of dinosaurs. When in doubt, just add dinosaurs. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite period? Uh,
1: Probably the Cretaceous period. Any particular reason? Uh, Well, mainly because that's the period that was featured in Walking with Dinosaurs three D, the movie.
0: Oh yeah, you'd have to know a hell of a lot about dinosaurs by now. I mean, like they're finding new, new kind of dinosaur fossils and stuff all the time. Did that change what you were doing with the film ever?
1: Um, it. it this, this film took a lot of pains to be really accurate I mm-hmm. guess with all of the latest dinosaur research So uh, it was made in conjunction with the BBC And they had all manner of dinosaur experts Kind of weighing in on everything that we were doing um, Which made the kind of a beginning development process Kind of really protracted and drawn out actually Because you'd... There are a whole lot of people that all of the designs had to get through before things were approved. So, so uh,
0: instead of like a normal film where you just run it through the uh, design department, you have to run it through like ten paleontologists.
1: Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, t- that's exactly what it was like. Because, and, and there are these experts in uh, in every single different dinosaur that need to look at it. Uh, people who uh, who've spent their entire lives studying like the the giant kind of flying dinosaurs and have an opinion on literally how big the wings are and what the uh, wingspan uh, kind of. Flapping distance is and uh, yeah, what the
0: movement would have looked like and stuff like that too. I'm sure (laughs) would have been really hard to come up with.
1: Yeah, I mean, because they've got all these fossil records of Mm. of how the uh, you know how far apart the feet were and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, we actually had a lot of arguments with them about it along the way. (laughs) Actually, uh, just because we would say, look, you know, you say that it's this, but when you actually get the dinosaur to move. It looks pretty dumb. Can
0: we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, imagine that for a film. You just get caught in, like, an all-out paleontology fight. It's not your average your average filmmaking experience, really.
1: <laughs> no, no. It, and, and actually, the paleontologists disagreed with each other on it, about it as well. And um, I think... I think I'm trying to remember. I think there was actually something where we actually convinced one of the the paleontologists that that what we were suggesting was more correct than what they were suggesting, which changed what they were even thinking, and um, which was quite amazing. Um, there was <laughs> so being a
0: visual effects supervisor makes you like a, a default paleontologist when it comes to movement. I guess you'd know a bit more though. Well,
1: this this is our animation director. So yeah, yeah the, the the animation director uh, is obviously very, which is distinct to, to my role because my role is more about the kind of of uh, the final look of an image, mm-hmm. um, and the animation director. To kind of gets into all of the specific movements of everything and, and whether the movements feel natural and, uh, and, and that the character is being portrayed correctly through the yeah. movements and all that kind of stuff.
0: And in the end, what was the response of the paleontology community to the film?
1: They were pretty happy with it. Uh, from, a, from a paleontological accuracy point of view, they were, they were really happy with it. That would have felt good. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: Okay, so, I mean, Walking with Dinosaurs is a 3D film, so can you explain a little bit about how 3D worked when you were making that film? Like, you had some on-site shooting for the for the landscapes. Mm. So at, at that stage, how are you making sure that you're going to have what you need for 3D later?
1: Well, uh, yeah, when you shoot, because we, we shot in uh, native 3D, so uh, there's two kinds of 3D. So you can shoot it natively where you shoot with two cameras uh, out there kind of getting both the left and the right image that you then put together later. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can shoot it just normally as a mono... Image and then you can kind of post-dimensionalize it later, which is what a lot of films now do.
0: Is that a cheaper way of doing it? Uh, it, it
1: depends. Um, yeah, it can be. It's it depends on the the level of quality you want to take your 3D to. At the end of the day, okay. but um, but yeah, um, we we did it sort of uh, the the kind of purest way, I guess, by shooting both a left and a right image, um, and that involves kind of gigantic kind of rigs with two cameras in them, and um, it's it generally is a slightly slower process, but you get Uh, kind of better depth accuracy through doing it. So you take that footage and then you bring it back and then you've got to put the two images together and you've got to make sure that it doesn't feel painful um, and that the amount of depth that's in the image feels correct.
0: Actually, painful. So, can I mean, I know from seeing a couple of 3D films in my time, not a very long time, but um, it can be really hard to watch. I mean, I've had to take off my 3D glasses at a point and just kind of like look at my lap to try and feel less ill very early three D kind of did that to me. How do you make it so it doesn't make your viewers feel sick when they're watching three D?
1: Uh, you just have to kind of keep finding the little things that are that are problems in in the in the image. So there are so many th- different things that can happen because, like, when you shoot with different, I don't want to get too technical with it, but when you shoot with two different cameras, you're shooting one one image uh, directly into a camera, and the other image you're shooting. Uh, into a mirror, which is bouncing off the mirror and back up into the other camera. So um, you're dealing with all kinds of distortion in your lenses and in the mirror. And uh, when you see two images that are overlaid against each other, and one's a bit warped compared to the other one, that's what causes your brain to just go. Ugh, and, Ugh, yeah. I don't know what's happening. Actually, I wonder <laughs> if
0: there's like a lot of vertigo in um in the kind of VFX community when they're making 3D films. Does it happen that you're you know for large stretches of time working on 3D footage? And getting kind of like nauseous. Uh
1: yeah, and and, and the, lots of people have different tolerances for 3D as well. Like our CG supervisor um, Emmanuel Blasse, he he he's like the canary in the coal mine. Kind of like <laughs> if if you want to know whether something's correct in 3D, you show it to him because if something's slightly wrong, he'll he'll turn around and vomit in the eye, <laughs> like straight away. But uh, I have a really high tolerance for 3D for some reason. I can just I can look at stuff that's broken and just go, oh yeah, it feels a bit weird, but. Uh. Uh, I guess it's all right.
0: (laughs) Uh, You can't see right now, but Will's going slightly cross-eyed as he says this. (laughs) Okay, so I reckon we should have more dinosaurs in a second because I'm thoroughly enjoying talking about dinosaurs. So my guest today is Will Reichelt, and uh, we're going to take a track right now from BMX, City of Satellites. I didn't actually ask you, with with Do You Realise by Flaming Lips, mm. why, why did you want to bring that
1: song on? Well, that relates to, um, I guess, in terms of the photography, the music photography that I, that I have done in the past. That was one of the kind of high experience moments for me uh, where I got to actually shoot Wayne Coyne, the lead singer of the Flaming Lips for the cover of Bragg, uh, the local street press. Was and he
0: was he fun to deal with?
1: He was great. He was really cool guy. I'd heard that he wasn't such a cool guy uh, beforehand, but and I was a bit nervous about it. But he was really cool. Um, and the at the time it was 2009, and at the time he was. Um, uh, his the whole show, the Flaming Lips show, was like a giant kind of extravaganza. With like, he he came out in like a an inflatable ball and rolled out across the audience, and there was like confetti cannons and people in animal onesies and all jumping around, and it was like a <laughs> it was like a giant party. And so,
0: yeah, uh, I think was that was that during the time when they were doing Harvest, or is that later?
1: Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah that so. was
0: incredible. Mm. So much confetti.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I'm still finding it in my in my bag because I went to the Harvest show as well, and I was yeah. still finding confetti in my bag for weeks <laughs> afterwards. But um. Yeah, uh, so um, so I kind of I guess it's sort of a slightly trite idea, but I wanted to kind of just recreate the party in the in the photo, and so I went out and to to a party shop and I bought all this kind of uh, confetti cannon like little. Uh, sort of tubes that you can You're just... not
0: the kind of industrial things that they were using for the, for the huge stage at Harvest No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That would actually be an oh s issue yeah,
1: yeah. yeah we were doing it we did the photo in his hotel room so it was a pretty cramped kind of space mm-hmm. and even with these little tubes that kind of pop out I was still worried like you know, is it going to be like you know is it going to like blast in his face i really it...
0: sorry for the cleaners of that hotel room
1: <laughs> yeah I, I actually felt really sorry for the other photographer because there was a procession of other photographers who were coming oh, in to no. take pictures afterwards and i felt really bad because like they were dealing with all this crap just strewn everywhere
0: <laughs> or they came in and they were just like this is great some color this is a very drab hotel room
1: i don't think jazzed it was up
0: bright. for them. okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> i got some feedback about it later um <laughs> but uh, but yeah so I um, and what I didn't anticipate was that because um, I thought oh this will be cool I'll just t- twist the um, twist the or, or I'll I'll hold the camera and I'll get someone else to twist the thing and, and it'll blast confetti all over Wayne and I'll take the picture and uh, it'll be great and then of course, you know, you do it and it doesn't work. Or you, you, the confetti works and everything goes everywhere, but you didn't get the photo because, like, something messed up. Like, the light didn't work.
0: Or, or like, Wayne's mid-blink or whatever. Yeah,
1: Wayne's <laughs> just poking his tongue out or something because you know, he's just, like doing all this, he's performing while he's like in front yeah. of the camera as well, so so you just didn't you didn't get the photo, and so I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? So I just got um, all of it, because there's a lot of PR people around, so I just got them to kind of pick up all of the stuff <laughs> on the ground, just said, just throw it at Wayne, just chuck it at him, just throw it around, and then like just eventually I got one that I quite liked.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, and I've seen that photo, it's a great shot, if you are, uh, look up Wayne Coyne and Will Reichelt, you will find that photo, it's a really good one. Okay, and we got that track that I mentioned. BMX, City of Satellites, you'll hear why we've got this, sh- this on the show in a second. It's out of the box. My name is Ash Bertabez. Will Reichel is my guest today. City of Satellites. What a smooth jam! <laughs> it's
1: and, nice, isn't it? Yeah,
0: that you were there during the filming of that music video. What was that all about?
1: Uh, yeah, that music video. Well, I, I know one of the guys from that band, Thomas Diacomicalis who. Um, That's a
0: really cool last name.
1: It is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> um, he's a really cool guy as well. He uh, his day job is he's an art director for Rockstar Games, and <laughs> he he works on uh, the um, what are the games that they do.
0: Oh, they do grand theft auto grand don't theft they? auto yeah, that's yeah. huge
1: yeah he just he's just finished working on the last one grand theft auto four um uh, but yeah he's he does his band uh as well and um Uh, He that song uh, was the video for that song was directed by a guy that another guy that um, because I used to work with Thomas at Animal Mm -hmm. Logic and so another guy that we used to work with Dale Oates. Yeah, it's all the VFX community, it seems. Yeah, it was like a little sort of community sort of project, Mm -hmm. and so um, yeah, it was sort of a weird night in the woods uh, and Centennial Park with and it was raining and it was spooky and it's a guy in a spacesuit kind of jumping around and um, in slow
0: mo like it's it's beautiful video. It is, isn't it? Thoroughly, thoroughly um, recommend looking it up it's quite stunning the light and it's beautiful
1: yeah um and and sort of weirdly sort of crossed over with this kind of really amazing bmx work uh from i think his name's michael steingraber this uh, he's like a professional bmx artist
0: the pitch um, of that would have been pretty interesting so bmx's in slow-mo with astronauts <laughs> in a park sign me up <laughs> and you took a photo during that
1: I took a bit, yeah, yeah. Dale got me to sort of take sort of behind the scenes photos for him uh, for the video. And so there was, because the visuals were so great, I mean, you're sort of just capturing what's there, really. But mm-hmm. it's just, I was, I just sort of put a bunch of these images together and included it as part of the uh, the kind of show that I did, f- uh, the, the Mark Gallery show that I did uh, back in 2010.
0: Oh, that was what well, that was. I had something to do with FBI from memory. Was it yeah, a it was fundraiser? A, it was
1: a fundraiser yeah. for FBI. It was around the time FBI was going through the the, the bad times.
0: Oh, the dark times. The dark
1: times. Yeah, yeah, our dark ages, where things got really, really bad.
0: And now it's a golden age. That's right. But not really. So, if you want to support the station, please do go onto our website. It's super duper easy, and you can uh, sign up as a supporter from as little as five dollars a month, which is. Not even two coffees, yeah, not even two crappy coffees.
1: That's right. it's not beer, all beer and skittles for FBI exactly all it's the time. never
0: it's never beer and skittles for FBI, which is hard on all of us mm. anyway. Mm. You. What were we talking sorry. about? <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm happy to go back to talking about dinosaurs because I'm thoroughly enjoying that. So, <laughs> when okay, what I want to know is when you're moving a dinosaur, like actually making it move, how do you make it move realistically? How do you make the audience believe that this is how a dinosaur moved? Because we don't know any of that stuff.
1: the The main thing that you have to do is you have to make it move in a way that an audience can relate to. So you always bring it back to real world, uh, sort of modern day reference. So mm-hmm. you, you can't make it. Uh, kind of uh, move in this sort of like it 's walking on its tiptoes and it 's sort of floating along kind of way because no no creature on earth moves like that, so you have to look at creatures of equivalent size and mass and and look at how they move like uh, the the main creatures in the Walking with dinosaurs movie are the packy and they look like giant elephants, and so we looked at elephants we looked at rhinoceroses, and we looked at um, and there 's like baby versions and adult versions, and you kind of look at all the different you know ways that um, that kind of uh, are going to support that but then you have to look at what is going to not make them only look realistic but also mm-hmm. what's going to bring out the character in them as well so the babies you want them to look really cute so you look at what what makes a baby rhino like look look its cutest yeah that's um, interesting you know so there's because the, there's a scene in the film where there's like a litter of these pachyrhinosaurus all tumbling around in a, in a nest and it's the cutest thing ever because they're all just like like, like <laughs> pouring each other in the face and like spitting on each other and stuff
0: yeah and like I mean you have to make you know you can't make things like lizards cute really and dinosaurs are essentially like lizardy. yeah that's right yeah, yeah.
1: so well it's yeah that's um you sort of try not to be too anthropomorphic with it where you try to not to give them too humanistic uh, sort of expressions and things like that I mean we had all these rules in place where you couldn't over-animate the faces for mm-hmm. instance like you can't sort of pulp make the eyes super big or like give them big grins or just basically give them any sort of expression. Nothing
0: land before time-ish.
1: No, no, nothing (laughs) nothing like that. Um, It was really um, yeah, everyone was really uh, strict on that Yeah. just because, you know, animals, when you look at real animals, they don't have a very large range of motion in their in their faces. So our animation director, Marco Moringi, was really careful about just making sure that... Because uh, when you look at, say, for instance, a dog, and a dog does that sort of like... It looks like it's smiling, and it's drool coming out of its mouth, and you're scratching its head. It's not really... I mean, it's happy, but it's not smiling at you. It's, we sort of project that onto it.
0: True, true. Or, well, you know, when you put eyebrows on a dog, that's a pretty good time. <laughs>
1: That's always a good time.
0: It's such a good time. Also cats.
1: Yeah. Cats with eyebrows. Yeah. Also
0: good, not as good as dogs. um, I don't
1: think any of the dinosaurs had eyebrows now that I come to think of it.
0: Ah, yeah. So, I mean, we have evolved. Mm. Walking with dinosaurs too. I can see it now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. With eyebrows. Walking, yeah, 3D with eyebrows. And so...
1: Paleos might have something to say about that. uh,
0: Maybe. Actually, Paleos had something to say about the feathers in in walking with dinosaurs. What was the reaction to actually, you know, I I think it was the first... Film with dinosaurs that had
1: feathers apparently yeah i mean I, I uh I think we were the first film to have feathered dinosaurs um t- and a lot of the paleos were very, very happy about that because uh it hadn't been a it 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 had obviously been a big part of the kind of uh, updated knowledge of dinosaurs in the last sort of uh, 10 years that, yeah. they, that they did. And, but um, imagine
0: like those 10 years that passed where there's was like no feathered dinosaurs in movies and you'd just be so bitter as a paleontologist.
1: <laughs> well, you, you should have seen the, uh, the backlash about the next Jurassic Park movie that's about to come out where it was announced that they weren't going to have feathers on their dinosaurs. <laughs> Press and, release. <laughs> oh, the paleos were hu- hugely upset about it.
0: It's so funny. Didn't I didn't think there would be so much passion. Yeah. Um. Could you talk to me tell me about like you know when you go to a premiere of a film
1: that you've worked on?
0: What does it feel like?
1: Uh, I think I've only had that opportunity once or twice. Really? Um, it's well, it's really nice. It's just a big party, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I did.
0: So you've seen it all before the premiere.
1: Uh. Often no, often Mm. you've only because there's a lot of sort of um, security around what you're doing and secrecy because you don't want to kind of spoil everything for the audiences. So um, often you've only seen your little bit of the movie before you go and see it in the theater. Um, That was definitely the case with um, what we what we did with Australia and with Knowing. Um, With Walking with Dinosaurs, we were involved in that whole thing right from the beginning, all the way through from. The inception of it as an idea, from through to a script, through to the final movie. So, I had seen every frame of that movie thousands of times. <laughs> and by the, by the time it actually hit the theater, it was a, it was not not an anticlimax, but I was just like,
0: oh, <laughs> oh dear, just so sick of freaking dinosaurs and oh, stuff. No All more of... dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love
1: dinosaurs I love dinosaurs.
0: Uh, never get over dinosaurs. So. We've got a track to take in a second called Ends of the Earth by Lord Huron. But why Why this track?
1: Uh, this track is on... It's actually on the soundtrack to Walking with Dinosaurs 3D. Um, and it's in a sequence where the two little dinosaurs... Because uh, the, the story is uh, the, uh, Patchy, who's the hero. He's the kind of plucky little uh, guy who... He's the runt of the litter and he yeah. kind of... Uh, Protagonist has to be plucky. That's right. He's a plucky little, uh, courageous little dude. And he, he, um, he makes this little uh, friend called Juniper... And the two of them go off on this little adventure. And this is a a song that kind of uh, covers a little montage where they go for a a big walk out into the wilderness and start exploring the world. (laughs)
2: Oh
0: a band that I can scarcely believe they have never been to Australia.
1: I can't believe it either.
0: The it's, radio department.
1: I know. It, that's why I picked it, because they're the band that I've just really been into for the, the the whole time I've been into music, and they for some reason they've never come out here, or no one's ever thought it worthy of bringing them out here. But Are they, I, they still together? I believe so. I would looked at their, their website when I was picking the song to see, and... The last thing update they had was like a year ago or something. So okay. I just I hope that they're still the together. ish Yeah,
0: we can maybe like start a possible campaign to bring them here. That that could be a thing. Like they mm. did that with Darud just to, so we can so everyone could just hear sandstorm live which is just going to probably not be particularly great
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, no that, yeah that would be amazing because they formed in 95 so next year would be their 20 20th anniversary okay. of being a band yeah. so maybe they, someone could do like a commemorative 20th anniversary tour never been here before tour or something
0: <laughs> commemorate all the times we never had together.
1: That's right great.
0: So we just got a text you on the text line which is on 0409 945 945 if you'd have a question for Will Reichelt, my guest today on Out of the Box. So this anonymous texter asks, who did The Kangaroo in Australia? Is
1: that oh. you? Uh, no, it wasn't us. Um, I'm not sure who did The Kangaroo, actually. Um, there, there were a lot of companies that worked on Australia. Basically, everyone, who, every company that does visual effects in Australia worked on that film. Um, All which, hands on deck. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, there was... There was a lot of visual effects in that movie. There was um more than a thousand shots, I think of visual effects in that movie, so yeah, wow. uh, I can't remember exactly how many shots we did. I know we didn't do the kangaroo, but um yeah,
0: yeah, okay, so that means that like is is it a small community, a small industry in Australia of visual effects companies, or
1: relatively speaking yeah, yeah. there's there's probably um five or six kind of main companies that are doing the kind of work that we do, yeah um yeah.
0: And so you spent 18 months during the filming of, of Australia working with supervising actually a team of up to 30 artists. Is that is that pretty stressful?
1: Uh it it can be. Yeah. Uh it depends on what's going on. Not the supervising the artists so much. It's it's sort of the the ebb and flow of what's happening in production and uh whether you're kind of Achieving the level of quality that you that you set for yourself and that the client expects from you, and um, and that you're doing it on schedule.
0: How many people were you supervising for Walking with Dinosaurs? Then,
1: uh, there was about 150 people, I think, that worked on Walking with Dinosaurs. That's wow. from from beginning to end, and that we we did the whole film for that. So that's why the crew was so large. But uh, I mean, for for the animated features that we do, uh, the Lego Movie. Um, walk, um, uh, Etc., that, that's this way bigger crews, like they're, they're hundreds and hundreds of people.
0: Lego movie is one of the most ridiculous fun movies I've ever seen. Actually, I, I was seriously ready to just be like, eh, whatever, but it was great, yeah. And that was <laughs> cool. an Animal Logic production as well. Same with yeah. The Matrix, Babe, we Babe was Animal Logic.
1: We worked on those movies, yeah. We did small t- little sections of those movies, yeah. but um, but yeah, Lego movie, we did the whole thing,
0: great, okay. And so I wonder with Australia, what was working with Baz like? Is he, because he's quite a big personality, yeah?
1: Mm, Yeah, he's, it's, it's really energizing working with Baz Luhrmann. He's, he's very enthusiastic in everything that, that he does. Um, uh, Yeah, he had, we had some great sessions where he would come in and, come in and look at what we had done. And, um, yeah, he's just always uh, very creatively inspired by everything and wants to kind of jump off in different directions and make everything as good as he can possibly make it.
0: And, um, well before you were working on films full length films you were doing commercials mm. i've kind of i've kind of heard off handed reports about like you know working with the client and the client comes in and everything just kind of shuts down and we all we all sit together and and it's you know what's the experience of dealing with a cli- client like especially when you're talking about just a commercial for example
1: clients are great <laughs> <laughs> no cl- uh, it's... It- I don't, it's it's just about you know everyone needs to get what they want. Uh, clients need to feel happy and supported, and that you've got their best interests at heart, and that you're providing good quality work. Um, and you know things can get stressful and tense as they can in any industry, any creative industry where you're having to deliver a product on time. Okay. Um, but uh, so it's yeah. not
0: like the dark overlord suddenly arrives and and everything just goes into shut into lockdown and you know well it's not it's not like that is
1: it it's a it's a trust relationship Uh (laughs) you have to you have to kind of develop a bond with your client and they trust you and you trust them and uh to kind of not throw too many curveballs your <laughs> way um, at the last minute, but um, you know it, the, these things inevitably happen. So it's just <laughs> you have to always keep a cool head when you work through it all.
0: And one of the one of the more memorable um, ads that that you made, I, I remember this one really clearly. Actually, I think it would have been I would have been like twelve or something. But the Tui Extra Dry ad with the household appliances. How long ago was that that you made that oh, that ad?
1: That was. Uh, Two thousand and four or five, I think. Yeah. Or yeah, possibly earlier. I can't remember. It was one of the last commercials that I worked on before I shifted into the film department. But um, yeah. So can that's... you
0: can you just describe what it's like, just in case um, we don't know what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so the commercial is for Tui's Extra Dry beer, mm. and it's uh, it's at a party um, that's in this sort of apartment block, and there's uh, a vacuum cleaner and a washing machine. And the vacuum cleaner kind of comes to life, opens the fridge, grabs the last bottle of Tui's Extra Dry out of the fridge, uh, and is just about to make off with it uh, when the washing machine comes to life and just slams its its way out of its like <laughs> little cavity and smashes the um, the bottle out of the, ha- the the mouth of the vacuum cleaner, and this full on brawl kind of ensues. Where... Yeah,
0: it's seriously like at the front of a pub. It like looks like a real <laughs> pub fight.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a total. It's a it's a massive brawl that um, they they end up sort of throwing each other into walls and then. Uh, the vacuum cleaner throws the uh, washing machine out through a plate glass window out because they're in like this sort of uh, apartment complex and it throws the the, v- the washing machine out of the plate glass window and out next to the pool. And then just when you think that uh, the wash the vacuum cleaner's got the upper hand, uh, suddenly <laughs> a new competitor <laughs> enters the fray, and the uh, the pool cleaner leaps out of the pool, grabs the bottle, and throws it into the pool. And then suddenly the the fight then transfers to the pool.
0: Oh, that and- must be the most obscene pitch, though, when someone comes in and be like, okay can we make this happen? <laughs> <laughs> All-out brawl with house appliances. Oh, so.
1: it, it actually, yeah, because that, that ad came um, right after, they had done another ad where there was like a, a tongue.
0: I remember that. It grossed me out. Yeah. Really. It was like really yeah. kind of,
1: but it was such a successful ad. I mean, everyone knew that ad. Every, if you were grossed out by it, you, uh, or, or you weren't, you still knew that ad because it was so kind of. Yeah, because I just um,
0: imagine licking the ground. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, this this ad was the follow up to that ad, and so they kind of wanted to take, try to sort of match the 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 level of awareness of the previous ad in some way, and, and take it to another level. So I think everyone was just keen to just throw as much as they could into it.
0: And if you want to check out that ad that we're talking about right now, it's on our show page. So go to FBIradio.com forward slash programs and playlists, and the out of the box page has that. That particular ad on it, bit a bit of a memorabilia kind of thing. Very much, very nostalgic about that one. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, we, with the with the client's pitch for that. Did they come? Do they come to you and say, "Hey, I've got an idea." Is that how it works?
1: Uh, with commercials, uh, it was sort of all done through an advertising agency. So <laughs> uh, the advertising agency would would meet with a director and they'd sort of talk through an idea, and then they'd come to us uh, as the post production house to kind of complete. The digital effects portion of the of the commercial.
0: What about the the Energizer ad? There's this ad where there's a, a family car. They're going on a road trip. There's kids in the back. They're playing the the video game, really outdated video game by now, and the the battery goes dead. And it's an Energizer ad. So what happens next?
1: Uh, yeah, that's when uh, the little Energizer guy. Um, I can't remember his name. Mister Energizer, I think his name was.
0: Mister um, Mr. Energy or something. Mister yeah. Energy.
1: He kind of like explo- in every ad. He just explodes out of somewhere, <laughs> like, and just it, just stuff goes flying across the room or the car or something, or, um, and then he he magically produces new batteries and rams them like just really hard <laughs> down into the device that's failed. Power, power. <laughs> and, and the device starts working, and everything's happy, and the key Yeah, are...
0: and then all of a sudden, the kids are just playing video games in the back of the car, and pieces camped.
1: That's right. <laughs> 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 Mr. Energy. Yeah. Fix it.
0: All right. I, I love that ad. So when when that you know was given to you to work on, mm. how did you make it seem like you know he was particularly a powerful battery?
1: Um. Well, the there's always like when you plan this stuff, uh, there's always a you, you have to sort of work with the director and figure out. Uh, what's going to be practical live action and what's going to be digital effects, and so there's stuff that's, uh, you know, because there's always a budget to work to, obviously. So um, there's stuff that's easier easier for us to do and stuff that's easier for for you to do practically and so for, for situations like that um they set off those explosions where stuff goes everywhere that's all real so oh, crazy. they, they I would didn't have like that. some monumental blast of air some air cannon that's like exploding uh you know just stuff at those kids like, <laughs> at,
0: their, at their heads <laughs> so that in in real life these poor kids in the back of the car are actually being like showered just assaulted in debris, with
1: debris. <laughs> yeah that's right so I they get like, that that, yeah. that just kind of comes flying at their heads and then uh we kind of then add Mr. Energy and and any sort of related effects and things that have to go in later.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so we, we actually are running out of time and we've got one track left that we can play from Cut Copy called Future. So you've been a, a photographer, you've been doing live music phot- photography at least for over eight years now? Mm, yeah. yeah some amazing stuff. I was going through your Flickr account like over the past couple of days just kept going back and want to like you know try and desktop one of your pictures. Some of them are just all of them are great but some of them are just mind blowing. Mm. Actually there's this one that you've got there's like a little little monkey sitting on a chair playing a playing a little (laughs) ukulele or something like that. It's so depressing.
1: It's yeah that's a really depressing photo. Yeah. That's I feel bad that that's even up there. Well
0: and you can see the guy in the background standing on its little rope. It's like one of the most heartbreaking photos I've ever seen. That was Tr-
1: yeah, that was a, a holiday actually that I I, I was in in Thailand, um, and you just see these things just as you're travelling around, and yeah. yeah, I just I forgot that was up there. Yeah, <laughs> that, no, that it's, just it's just a really like, sad the, image.
0: The monkey's face is just so wistfully looking down and just like depressedly playing the guitar. It looks like a tortured musician.
1: It was yeah, it was actually pretty good at the guitar as well. But oh, it's, no. it's <clears throat> it is a really. S- I hope that monkey's okay.
0: Okay, so we've got this. Last track to take called Future by Cut Copy, and in your in your photography career, you, you've reached a, reached a bit of a crazy milestone here working with Vogue.
1: Yeah, um, well, this is sort of a, an interesting because this 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 is um, taps into my interest in photography, but it's a job that we did at Animal Logic, which is going to hit the newsstands uh, at the I think it's the seventeenth or the nineteenth of November, so it's the the December issue of Vogue Australia and vogue came to us uh, a few months ago uh, looking to collaborate and so <clears throat> through the um through the kind of uh brainstorming process we came up with these two different shoots um so they're featured in in the magazine and uh the is- the theme of the issue is the future um and so we wanted to kind of uh, do something that felt obviously felt futuristic so uh but ties in also with the kind of fashion that they wanted to feature uh something that looks really slick something that looks really beautiful um, and hopefully we've achieved that. Um,
0: I've, I've been shown a bit of a preview of the photos. I feel quite uh, privileged here. They look stunning. And the, the concept for one of them is kind of like future selfie almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a. Um, a, a the idea is, uh, I don't want to sort of spoil too much of it, but it's the um, the idea that in the future you might not have to take a picture of yourself. Um, to share with the social media world as a selfie but you might have a more idealized kind of uh android self version of yourself that looks better than you in all ways that you can kind of take a picture of that then you can share with with the world but uh, that's the kind of base concept of it but yeah i don't want to say too much more about it but um yeah you should check it out on uh, november 17th um there's also going to be uh, a little video that's uh, available on the Vogue website as well, which kind of has a little bit of information as to how we actually put the images together as well. So yeah. check that out too.
0: Really interesting stuff. And it's been enlightening talking to you, Will Reichelt. Thank you so much for coming on Out of the Box. Thanks for having me. And so in in honour of the, the theme of that issue of Vogue that, that uh, the photos are going to appear in, we've got a song called Future by Cut Copy you listen Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. My name's Ash Bertabez. Will Reichelt has be my guest today. And if you want to listen back, the show is going to be up in probably half an hour on the on-demand section of the FBI radio website.
2: The Box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI.